As the kids are going out, I, I, I'm reminded of just the multitude of ways that this church serves. And so all of you who serve in our nursery and our children's ministry, thank you. I, uh, I'm, I'm seeing just a host of volunteers going out to serve the children. I'm also reminded of the way our hospitality team opened up the doors this week to host Presbytery, and it was a beautiful thing. So thank you all for the way that you continue to use your gifts in the service of the church. We're going to be looking back to John chapter 6 this morning. We are in our uh, third part of our examination of um, of the bread of life discourse. Um, this morning we'll look to John 6, verse 60 through 71. It's a discourse that, that started back in verse 22 of, uh, of John 6, but as we get to this section today, we see how the people responded to Jesus' words. Before we look there, let's ask for the Lord to bless our, our, our time together this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to, to your word today, we ask that you would give us the blessing of your spirit to open our hearts to receive this, this message. You tell us in this word what we know to be true, that, to, that left to our own devices, we, we miss you, we miss your heart, we miss your truth. But this is the word of life. And so open us up to receive it, we pray, this morning, in Christ's name, amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you? The twelve. And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 2009, uh, the movie Invictus came out. Invictus was, it was the story of, of Nelson Mandela and and his attempt to uh, use the South African rugby team as an instrument of, of reunification, sort of bringing this divided nation back together. The nation was divided bitterly along racial lines, having, having been under the, the oppressive yoke of, of apartheid for, uh, for, for many, many years. 
It's a great movie. It takes its name, though, from a poem. A poem by a poet named William Henley. Um, and the story goes that when Mandela was serving his uh, 27-year-long prison uh, term, uh, he, he clung to this poem as a source of strength. I don't want to take anything away from, from Mandela and his great works there in South Africa, but the poem itself is its a bit um, pointed. It's an anthem of self. I'd like to read it to you, see how it, how it lands with you. This is Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. How does that land with you? I am the captain of my soul. It's a message that our culture embraces, elevates. It is the anthem of self, of self-determination, of, of self-will. Let's leave Mandela alone for a moment. What does that stir within you? Does it resonate? Why? Many of us desire to be the captain of our own destiny. The problem is, with that desire to be captain of our own destiny, to be master of my own soul, how do we connect to the words of the gospel? How do we respond to this gospel message that Jesus has been preaching to us? Verse 60 tells how the people responded. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? A couple of things we need to deal with here. First, who are these disciples? We tend to think of the disciples as the twelve. But the truth is there were many who were following Jesus. The word disciple is a broad term. It means a learner. It means a follower. We've seen here just in John 6, 5,000 came. And Jesus fed them by the sea. And, and now they've come back across the sea. And Jesus has been talking with them. I'm not sure how many disciples there were, but there were many more beyond the 12. The 12 was a, was a distinct subset, but for the greater number, they heard Jesus' sayings. It's a hard saying. That's the second thing we need to deal with. What does it mean that Jesus' words were a hard saying? Hard can mean difficult to understand. It can also mean difficult to receive. Now, were these words difficult to understand? Well, 
you heard in our last uh, time together in John chapter 6, we were talking about eating the flesh of Jesus, drinking his blood. And yes, there is some confusion about that statement, but Jesus interacted with the people there. They wondered what it was that he was talking about, but as we said in our last time together in verse 56, he, he seems to make it clear that he is speaking through metaphor and using the metaphor of eating his flesh and drinking his blood to speak about abiding. Those are his words in verse 56. And we know that on some level they seem to grasp that. Jesus didn't offer up his arm and invite them to come speak or come eat. We tend to Think about this and, and, and wonder about it through the lens of the Lord's Supper because we are sitting many years later, but he is speaking there to a particular people in a particular place. They didn't eat, but they wrestled with his words. And Jesus shows through the words in this text that he understood that their difficulty with this saying was not in understanding but in in receiving the text tells us that knowing in himself that they were grumbling and also knowing why they were grumbling he asked the question do you take offense now again let's let's be clear when he asks them if they take offense at his statements, he's talking about what he's just been discussing earlier in John 6. And what we have heard in John 6 is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a gospel of sovereign grace. The message that Jesus did it all, Jesus gives it all, and Jesus holds all. That he is king. And he is sovereign over this gospel message. Jesus gave no offense with his words, but they most certainly took offense because the gospel humbles man and exalts Christ. The gospel humbles man and exalts Jesus Christ. For those then... And those today who would be captain of their own soul, there is no greater offense. Because what Jesus told the people and what they understood was his words meant that no person can produce this salvation for themselves. None is righteous, no, not one. Their reluctance was a reluctance to receive this message. Jesus is telling them here that your flesh is, is no help at all. That's <laughs> what we talked about last week when we talked about this message is a message that is Holy Spirit given. That's the, that's the dichotomy between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is our inborn nature, our sin nature. And in the sin nature, we cannot receive this message. It must be given to us by the Spirit. It's part of what Jesus is getting at, I believe, when he draws them to the ascension, when he is ascended. 
to the place of glory. He says, what if you saw that? You would doubt my words no longer. But the problem is that was not for them to see. That miracle was reserved for the apostles. The ones whom Lord Jesus would send out to to establish the church. The ones whom he had drawn to himself. The ones who sovereignly received this gift of faith. That gift of sight was a gift to encourage them in the mission that he was sending them on. There will come a day, though, when all of us will see and behold the glory of the Lord. There will come a day when when faith will become sight. When those who have resisted will, will see and behold. But there's still a difference between believing and worshiping. You see, even the demons believe. And on that day, those who have resisted will see and believe. The resistance will likely remain. Because a heart of worship is a heart that is sovereignly given. Verse 65, Jesus affirms that their difficulty is not in understanding. It's in receiving. They actually understood quite well. They just didn't like it. And so, in verse 65, Jesus reaffirms the message of sovereign grace that we have heard earlier in John 6. There, verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. To a people who want to be captain of their own souls, Jesus says, be low. Humble yourself. Humble yourself and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What was their response to this message of of humbling themselves? What is our response? When we we hear a message that we don't like, we turn and we walk away. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Jesus has just fed them. Jesus has just proclaimed the good news gospel to them and yet they couldn't they wouldn't receive it and they walked away it was a hard saying and so Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them a challenging question verse 67 Jesus said to the 12 do you want to go away as well what do you think was Jesus's tone in this question If it would have been me, praise the Lord it wasn't, because my tone would be very different. If I am there and and I'm watching all of these people hear my words and turn and abandon me, then I'm going to look at the disciples and say, look at them. Do you want to go away too? Go ahead. 
not Jesus. That's not his heart. That's not his tone. And that is not what is behind this question. Frustration does not drive Jesus' question here. Jesus is shepherding. Jesus is pastoring the 12 as he asks this incredibly insightful question. On one hand, Jesus is saying to the 12, the people are leaving. The numbers are dwindling. I don't know what the numbers were, but we know that at the beginning of this discussion, there were 5,000 there. text simply tells us that many left. And Jesus says to the 12, look, they're leaving. If you're here and you're looking for fame and acclaim, you're looking in the wrong place. Jesus drawing that out for the disciples on one hand. And on the other hand, he's, he's making this message of sovereign grace very personal for them. He's been talking to the crowd. And now he turns. And he looks to them. And he asks them a very personal question. Do you want to leave as well? Those people, they left because they would not be made low. And now he asks the disciples, will you stay low? Or do you need to leave as well? It's a bold question. It's a bold question that most leaders today refuse to ask. We don't ask that question today because we really don't want to hear what people might say. We would prefer to have their silent, passive affirmation. But this is a leadership question and a pastoral question all wrapped up into one. Because the Father has drawn them to Jesus, but with this question, Jesus is drawing them out. This question is a question that sifts. The true followers. But what are we, you and I, to do with that sifting? One question is, what, what about the promise we heard Jesus make earlier in John 6 that he will lose none whom the Father has given him? Does this sifting, this, this invitation to go freely, does that, is that contrary to what Jesus has said about his promise to hold with his mighty grip? No. No. This question is, is a fundamental aspect of discipleship. Because in asking it, Jesus is, is calling them to make a stand. He's calling them to own this, this invitation to abide. Asking them to own this call to truly follow him. He's saying, I want all of you. Not all of you, all of you. And so will you follow me? I, uh, I've learned something about my ability to focus. Uh, and it's not that pretty, by the way. Um, my wife and I will go to dinner. Um, sometimes to lunch, we'll, we'll go to a restaurant, and oftentimes in the restaurant, there'll be a, there'll be a bank of, of, of televisions along the wall. And occasionally, 
there will be ball games on those televisions. And occasionally, there's a team I actually want to see. And I know that as much as I love my wife, and as much as I want to focus her on her, that if I'm sitting and those TVs are beside her, I, I, I'll stay locked in for a moment. But occasionally, eventually, I'm going to drift. And so I've learned that when we walk into a situation like that, I, I've got a very intentional decision I've got to make. I've got to sit with my back to the TV. I don't say this because I'm the perfect husband. Far be it from me saying that. It's actually quite the opposite. I know myself. I know that if there's a distraction, I'm going to fall. And so put with that decision, I have to make a very conscious decision. Will I choose to focus on her and be engaged in this conversation? Friends, when Jesus asks the question, he's, he's putting it on the table. And asking, so are we going to follow him? Or are we going to chase after bread? Are we going to follow after our own desires? Where is this question hitting you this morning? Some of us hear this, this gospel call to, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to be made low, to, to embrace our need of Jesus, to actually embrace our brokenness. We hear that call to humility and we answer, no thanks. No thanks. How about you? Where is King Jesus leading you? Where is he leading you today? Where are you feeling this resistance in terms of abiding, in terms of following? Could it be in the area of your time? <clears throat> Where are you trying to carve out your time for yourself? Jesus, you can have this over here, but this is for me. It could be your money. Are you resisting acknowledging his lordship and in terms of your finances, it, it, it's one of those areas that really reveals much about the priority of our own heart. Or is there a particular sin struggle that you're carving out for yourself? Jesus, you can be Lord over all of this, but, but I'm going to hang on to this one. Because this one is, well, I deserve it. I deserve this little bit of little pleasure, so... You can have all of that, but this one's mine. Maybe it's your plans for the future. You've got it all figured out. When I say you, I mean we. Have it all figured out. Jesus, I'd like for you to be in this with me, but this is the direction I'm headed, so why don't you hop on board? Jesus' question is one of discipleship. When he asks the disciples if they want to leave too, he's asking us, are we in? Are we in? Are we here to abide in him? 
to abide in him, to follow Jesus, to truly be his disciple. It's a very different question than will you ask Jesus into your heart so that you can go to heaven one day? It's a question that says, will you go where he leads? Will you submit your life to his wisdom? Or do you want to leave as well? Jesus puts that question on the table. And Peter answers. It's always Peter. Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I believe that this is John's accounting of what Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us in their gospel accounts. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is all a a point where there is a distinct turn in the gospel account. Because there, in those gospel accounts, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses Christ. And there in Matthew 16, Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Peter, the Holy Spirit has given this to you. Remember, the flesh is of no help. The Spirit is the one who gives this knowledge, this ability, as we talked about last time, to receive this message. That is how Jesus affirms the work of the Spirit in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here in John, he says, I chose you. I chose you. Verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? It's meant for a specific group at a specific time. But just as we need to receive the question that Jesus offers to the disciples and ask it of ourselves, we need to understand that this promise is also a promise for us. There are two very important life-giving truths in this that I want us to see. And the first is this, Jesus chooses. We see it throughout Scripture that our Lord and God is sovereign over all. Ephesians 1 tells us that in love He has chosen us from before the beginning of time. He does it. He gets the glory, the beauty. We get the blessing. We get the blessing. He chose the 12. And if you are in Christ, He has chosen you. That means that He pursues us. The Father draws us and He holds us. It is all Him. But sadly, that message that it is all Him... That message of His sovereignty is what sent many away. They wanted to be master of their own destiny. I pray that this morning you hear this message of the gospel and you see that Jesus is choosing, His pursuing, His drawing, His his preserving. It is the very definition of grace. It is the very picture of love. It's the gospel that we've been talking about throughout John 6 and is reaffirmed here. It's the first life-giving truth that Jesus is Lord over our lives and over our salvation. But there's a second hidden truth here that Jesus even chose the betrayer. And when I say that he chose the betrayer, I'm not talking about salvation. It is clear from the rest of Scripture that, that Judas is he's not one of 
the beloved. But Jesus did choose to include him in the group. You need to understand what that means. It is evidence that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. And he followed this path all the way to the cross. Friends, the gospel message for us in John 6 is that we are to be made low. To be lowly and to stay low. But be encouraged in this message that there is a perfect union between Jesus' words and his deed. Because he, the Lord of lords, became low for us. And for our salvation. Judas' presence in the twelve, even Jesus' choosing of Judas, is evidence that Jesus' call for us to follow him is completely in keeping with his humble submission to the Father. And because he did, going all the way to the cross on our behalf, you and I, we have life. Life in his name. And that is the message that, that Peter affirms. That we affirm this day. So I ask you, is God's message of sovereign grace a hard saying? Well, on one hand, it is difficult to understand in this. Why would anyone love us that much? It's incomprehensible. But we have it as true. Is it difficult to receive? It's impossible to receive in the flesh. It's impossible to receive if we desire to be the captain of our own souls. But the Word of God tells us, the Spirit tells us that we have a better captain, a wiser captain, a more loving captain. I opened with Invictus. Invictus is a very modern poem, a humanistic poem. It is the anthem of self. It celebrates determination and self-will of kingship of self. But there's another poem. It's actually a hymn. It's the hymn that we will close with. In a few moments, this hymn celebrates a different king, one who takes us, one who leads us. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand, bread of heaven. Feed me now and evermore. Friends, I ask you, which anthem is yours? It's a question that Jesus asks us this day. And it's a very pastoral question he asks us. And in asking us, he invites us to sing along to one or the other. The hymn of self-will 
or the hem that, that humbles us and exalts Christ. In a few moments, we'll sing together. As we do, let us remember that our words are a call to follow him. Let's abide in him and the life that he gives to his beloved. Father, you are gracious, you are loving, you are sovereign, you are wise, and we pray that you would be at work in us putting to death the desires of the flesh, putting to death the desire to be captain of our own soul and draw us to our better, greater captain, that in him we might find life and life abundant. Would you do that this day? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.